The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Hello and welcome to the final 2022 preseason preview episode of Wannabe Walk-Ons, a Nebraska football and craft beer fan podcast and the official podcast of the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. I'm Ben and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host Drew. Thanks, Ben. Each episode we will sample craft beers, mostly local, some beyond, while sharing our unique brand of Husker Insight. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Wannabe Walk-Ons for the most up-to-date show information. And please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform or listen to each episode on wannabewalkons.com. On this week's episode, we will highlight beer from Wayne, Nebraska's Johnny Bird Brewing Company while previewing the back half of Nebraska's Big Ten West schedule. I'm Ben. And I'm Drew. And this is Wannabe Walk-Ons. So, Drew, I want to take you down memory lane real quick, and I, and I want to share with you something that I got to experience today that I haven't experienced in a very long time. Nice. I'm excited to hear this. So I had a work meeting this morning in Lincoln, and I decided to take Highway 6 back from Lincoln instead of taking the interstate because I wanted to make a stop in Greenwood. Okay. Do you know what is in Greenwood? I'm not familiar. Okay. I avoid Highway 6, to be <laughs> honest. It's fine. It's a nice, it's a nice drive, you know. But. It is a nice drive. Mm-hmm. But they are home to Baker's Candy. You ever oh, had Baker's Candy before? Oh my God, yes. Okay. Yes. So Baker's Candy is chocolates that you get around the holidays from other area businesses. They they hand out a nice sampling. You'll you'll know them by their colorful foil. Yes, and they're color coded foil. They are color coded. Yes. So if you know it, you I know. have a I have a separate gripe, which is they need to stop putting mint in with all the other flavors because <laughs> everything tastes like mint. This is true. Oh, this one's peanut butter and mint. This one's dark <laughs> chocolate, coconut, and mint. Anyways. Baker's Candy has grown from being a chocolate candy maker to also being home to Nebraska's largest candy outlet. I don't know if you've been here before, but it is this giant green metal shed that has rows and rows of repackaged bulk candy. So they take bulk candy and they package it into these smaller bags. So you're not like grabbing a couple of these, a couple of those. You're getting these like eight ounce servings for cheap. It is a very inexpensive place to go. And my wife loves, they have these like cinnamon lover hearts. She really likes cinnamon candy, but they're super hot. They're like hotter than a hot tamale. Gotcha. And so anytime that I'm passing by, I stop and get her a couple of bags so that she has a a refill. It's nice of you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm coming back from the meeting. They also have a collection of like classic sodas and old school sodas and weird flavor sodas and stuff like that. And this little blue glint just catches my eye and I go I know that color blue 
And it was a bottle of Balls Garana. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to get a bottle of Balls. And so I got the Balls along with the uh, the cinnamon candies mm-hmm. and Twist Top, which is great. Because sometimes old-fashioned sodas, you got to pry off, and I have no way of doing that. Last time I tried it, I uh, cut my hand wide open, just trying to, like, crack it open over the back of a chair or something yeah. like that. So I cracked open the Balls, and I before I drank it, I went, I don't remember what this tastes like. I just remember liking it. And I took a sip, and it was... A tropical, creamy, carbonated, sweet, just rush. And it just took me back to going to movies at AMC 24 and filling our pockets with bottles of Balls Garana from the hy that used to be there. (laughs) (laughs) And sneaking those in as we clanged into our seats and then just drank way too many of those than we should have. I'm sure our hearts were racing. Oh, yeah. These are like the most highly caffeinated beverages. (laughs) This is before the energy drink craze. Yeah. So I just thought, man, that that really reminded me of being in eighth grade and Drew and I going to movies and drinking way too much caffeine and probably being the worst moviegoers for other people. Yeah, I can only imagine. But if you ever get the chance, not only is it a great place for adults, but kids love, uh, and I can attest to that, my kids love going to Baker's Candy. You can literally run nuts and just pick out anything i mean you you name a candy they've got it yeah that's awesome yeah i might have to i might have to avoid i-80 next time and, and do the little you know what detour. you could do is take i-80 mm-hmm. and then get off at uh 426 right. where like the the sack museum is take that to highway six and then you can just head towards lincoln hit up greenwood and then greenwood has an interstate that you can right, really go to right. so you can get around it if you want yeah but i just highly recommend if if anyone listening has not been to baker's candy Go check them out. Keep them in business. They have no problem. They're always busy. Um, and this, they aren't sponsoring this episode or anything <laughs> like that. I just love Baker's Candy. But I will warn you, I never get out of there under 100 bucks. Because yeah, I just yeah. buy too much candy. <laughs> Today I did because I was on a mission. I was like, I'm just getting these. Yeah. But I usually drop way too much. And they, they you're not alone when you do that. Because <laughs> other people will walk out with two grocery bags full of candy. Of right. this discounted and yet amazing candy yeah i say i'm the type of person that will go into a store on every time on a mission um i will follow my list i will not deviate but that sounds like the sort of place that yeah you need to go in with no plan whatsoever and just enjoy the experience i should also say if you're not sold on candy they also have a section of like different nebraska wares so they've got different bottles of bottled ranch from places across (laughs) nebraska they've got your dorothy lynch they've got your mr c's pasta uh, sauces. They've got all these like Nebraska businesses who bottle their own stuff. Yeah. Also in a corner, which is really great. They've got the That's Nebraska cool. popcorn. They've got all that sort of stuff. So check them out. This is just me being a big old happy fan of them <laughs> and being like, I had a bottle of Balls Garana today. So I'm feeling really ready for this say, episode. Yeah, I'm so ready because this is also the last episode of the preseason. Yes. When we, at the time of this recording, we're two weeks away from kickoff. Exactly two the, weeks. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. The game's probably like, two-thirds of the way done at this point in two weeks, oh, which man. is so exciting. Yeah, that's got my heart racing. All right. It, so. well, I, I feel like I just transfused balls into your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we dive into talking about our featured brewery of this week, and that is the Johnny Bird Brewing Company out of Wayne, Nebraska. And I'll give Drew a chance to recover here and tell you guys a little bit about Johnny Bird. So to know Johnny Bird Brewing Company is to know the proprietor and brewmaster, Greg Potasik. Greg is rural Nebraska born and raised. He grew up in Osceola, a Nebraska town with a population of 800, went to school at Wayne State in Wayne, population 5,600, and started a family in Neely, Nebraska, population 1586. 
After a successful career in economic development, Greg wanted to start a business that would benefit rural Nebraska beyond simple service. In addition to his love for Nebraska, Greg was also developing a love and passion for brewing beer. It didn't take long for Greg to merge these two loves together and begin plans for Nebraska's first Benefit Corporation Brewery. Now, you might be thinking, what is a Benefit Corporation Brewery? Well, as Johnny Bird tells it, a lot of businesses in Nebraska act similar to Benefit Corporations, but Greg and his team made a vow to honor certain tenants. It's the strict adherence to these values that define the Benefit Corporation. So Johnny Bird has vowed to provide fair and honest wages for employees, brew their beer with 100% renewable energy or backed by renewable energy credits, and reinvest 10% of their annual profit into rural Nebraska with at least half of that spending being directed by their employees. So that's what, that's what this whole thing means for them, right, to be this kind of corporation is that they're following those main rules. In the fall of 2017, after leaving his job in Neely, remodeling their brewery with his father Steve, and moving his family to their new home in Wayne, Greg finally opened the doors to Johnny Bird Brewing Company. You may also be curious how a man named Greg with the last name Potasic ended up with a brewery named Johnny Bird. If any of our listeners speak Czech, you already know that Potasic means little bird. What you might not know is that Greg's grandfather was known for the Johnny Bird Orchestra. Keeping it in the family and celebrating the tradition of artistry and creativity in his family's history, Greg settled on Johnny Bird Brewing Company. Now nearly five years and numerous awards later, Johnny Bird continues to support rural communities within and beyond Wayne, Nebraska. It's safe to say we're all the better for Greg switching gears from economic development to alcohol development. And that is the quick and dirty on Johnny Bird Brewing Company. Nice. I love that they um, they really tied themselves down, like really with their commitment to giving back to the community. Like you said, a lot of companies operate that way, obviously with charitable donations and so on and so forth. But um, for somebody to to put that at the forefront of their business and make that like uh, central to what they do. Uh, it's just really cool. So Drew, this first beer that we are drinking is called Trio Akoya Pale Ale. It is a pale ale brewed with a hop that we're familiar with. It's a triple pearl hop that was actually grown in the state of Nebraska. Comes in at a 5.78%. What are we thinking about this beer? What's, what's coming to mind as you're taking a sip? Well, the first thing that jumps out is just the maltiness of the beer overall for a pale ale. Um, it's a it's a stronger malt, and so um, especially here in America, you know, we when we think of pale ales, we think of hops um, like toned down IPAs. Um, but if you if you enjoy like an English pale ale, you know that the malts are more heavily featured in those. And so this has a this has an American hop profile to me, but with that sort of the English malt backbone to it. Yeah, I was going to say this actually reminds me a little bit of the uh, English bitter that you brewed uh, earlier in the spring. Has some of those characteristics where you've got the, the nice bitterness to balance out some of the sweetness and the maltiness. Mm-hmm. I think this beer has a great mouthfeel. I like that little hint of bitterness. There's a little bit of bite and it's it's got kind of a nice chew to it. There's a real nice experience as you're drinking this whole thing. It really lingers and hangs out with you. If you close my eyes and say, have a sip of this, I might actually argue and say that this hits more of like a red ale profile just with that maltiness and that bitter balance. It does have that kind of European feel mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, but very enjoyable. I know I say this a lot. I'm already like <laughs> halfway through mine. We haven't even <laughs> we haven't even well, started. Good, good thing we buy crowlers. Good thing we yeah. buy big beers. <laughs> All right. So moving right along, it's time to talk about the back half of Nebraska's Big Ten West schedule. And Drew, you have the honors of introducing Minnesota to us. All right. I'm honestly surprised that you allowed me to take on Minnesota. I know that you have a very uh, passionate 
sort of stance that you take towards PJ Fleck and the towards Philip John, <laughs> Pajama Man. Yeah, but you know uh, it's probably for the best. I did I did selfishly take Iowa for myself though. Okay, so, that's right. All right. You know, I'll take it. You give and take. It's a balance. Yeah. All right. On Saturday, November 5th, the Minnesota Golden Gophers travel to lovely Lincoln, Nebraska to take on the Cornhuskers. Kickoff is still TBD, but let's be honest, you already knew that. The Gophers are coming off a 9-4 season in 2021, including a 6-3 record in conference and a marquee win over Wisconsin. The Gophers capped last season with an 18-6 victory over West Virginia in the guaranteed rate bowl, where each player's gift bag included a custom Casio watch, a Best Buy gift card, and it locked them all in for a 30-year fixed rate of 3.25%. Last year, Minnesota got ahead of Nebraska and never looked back, winning at home with a score of 30-23. In his post-game presser, P.J. Fleck tried to take a shot at Frost, but wound up insulting his own players in the process. Quote, That was truly culture versus skill. That's what I saw today. Our culture keeps everything tight. They believe in it. They live it academically, athletically, socially, spiritually, and everyone's held to a higher standard, end quote. It's highly uncharacteristic for P.J. Fleck to push aside the accomplishments of his players and instead focus on what he's brought to the program. Hopefully this snafu was an eye-opening experience for Fleck and he is more selective, <laughs> more selective with his words moving forward. <laughs> Oh, we'll see what post-game nuggets of wisdom Pajama Fleck has in store for us this year when the Huskers take on those pesky gophers in Lincoln on November 5th. If we're lucky, the only culture we'll have to hear about is what flavor yogurt Fleck had for breakfast. There you go. (laughs) Ready for some true or false? Yes, absolutely. All right, before we dive into Minnesota, you guys know the drill. We are going to test each other with a little true or false. So, Drew, Minnesota's first intercollegiate football opponent Hamline University did not know they would be playing a football game when they arrived at Kings Fair Ground in southern Minneapolis on September 30th, 1882. I'm going to say true. It's true. Yeah? Minnesota's first opponent had no idea they were playing a football (laughs) game. So originally the plan for September 30th was a three-team track meet with the University of Minnesota, Carleton College, and Hamline University competing. The team from Carleton College was unable to attend, so the other two teams went on with the meet without them. Following the meet, the athletes from Hamline wanted to go home. <laughs> but they were talked into playing a game of football first. Minnesota won with a score of 4-0. to zero. Wow, riveting. Yeah. <laughs> According to the school paper, quote, it is only fair to say that the Hamlines did not have their full strength and the university won by two goals in 55 minutes. This ended the day, and the crowd dispersed well-satisfied with the beginning which had been made in intercollegiate sports. The teams had a rematch a couple of weeks later, which was won by Hamline. Oh, see? When they had their actual when they team. Could, yeah, when they could prepare. My biggest question um, was whether or not Hamline University was an actual school. I thought maybe you were making that up. Yeah, you know, you, you got on my ass when I made the Daniel Stern thing and I was too specific with my true or falses back with Indiana so yeah, yeah. I went away from it and then after that you said I was too short so I made them longer and then after that you said they had nothing to do with football so I made them about football yeah very very hard to satisfy I will tell you right now n- none of mine have anything to do with football <laughs> oh man well I'm glad that I had a breakdown over that yeah. can't overthink it yeah yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't know what I'm saying half the time. So perfect. Well All tell right. me let me let me let me let me take a guess. Let me take a crack. Okay, here we go. All right. Minnesota. 
Everybody knows that Minnesotans consume a paltry 28 and a half gallons of beer per capita per year, an amount right in line with the national average and way behind Nebraskans who clock in at 35.2 gallons, which is good for number eight nationally. Okay. But did you know, in 2008, a 62-year-old Minnesota woman was charged with a DWI while driving a motorized lazy boy. Oh, motorized lazy boy. <laughs> yes. Whoa. I'm going to ha- I mean, gosh. I don't want to throw t- too hard of stones because that could also be a Nebraskan. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be more inclined if it was an Iowan. If you were like yeah. an Iowan woman <laughs> was pulled over in Minnesota. But I'm going to say true only because I like the image. Yeah, it's false. Oh. So, but it did. Was it an Ashley furniture? <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. So, the two things. So, first of all, it wasn't a woman. It was a man because no woman <laughs> is going to convert a lounge chair. And it was not a lazy boy. And that's important to know. Okay. So, this guy, Dennis Leroy Anderson. Yep. Uh, he had eight or nine beers at the Keyboard Lounge in Proctor, Minnesota. And after that, he got into his lounge chair, which was uh, motorized by a converted lawnmower. Okay. <laughs> he left the bar and promptly crashed into a parked car. <laughs> <laughs> when police arrived on the scene, they gave him the blood alcohol test. He was three times the legal limit. And so he was charged with a DUI. Um, the the chair that he was driving was equipped with a stereo and cup holders. <laughs> <laughs> it was impounded, and it was later sold at auction for four thousand dollars. Four grand. Four grand. Now, here's the kicker, though. So it was originally listed on eBay as a Lazy Boy, and the winning bid was forty four thousand dollars. No, but it shut. Was, yeah. Uh, so that sale was nullified when they found out that it was not, in fact, a lazy boy. Oh, my so gosh. So brand name matters. Yeah, it really does. I I love the detail that he had a cup holder. Right. And, and, I'll, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I thought the pinnacle of success was a cup holder in your couch. When you would go to a friend's house and they would have like a sectional where you could lift an armrest and it had, oh, I thought, man, they've made it. This is a family that knows how to party. And to this day, I I can't wait to have a a theater room or something like that where I can have a couch with a cup holder in it and be like, eight-year-old Ben is really proud of me right now. (laughs) Four grand though for that. Four grand for for a motorized lounge chair i wonder if it still had the um, mower blades <laughs> what a way to wow i didn't even think about that i mean because then you could be like no i'm not driving officer i'm just, just mowing mowing city <laughs> property <laughs> oh, oh that's man. good good times good times all right so let's let's talk about these golden gophers of minnesotas and Drew, what are we what are we thinking about these? Everything I ask you is, what are we thinking? Tell me what to think. What do you think of this beer? What are we thinking about this team? But really, how are you feeling about Minnesota going into this season? So, well, that's a tough question. How I feel because I feel bad about the way that I think about them. If that makes sense, because yes. I honestly think highly of them this year. Yeah, as much as I hate to say it, they were one of the top defenses in the country last year. I think they return enough pieces from that defense to continue to be successful there. Their biggest struggle was on the offensive side of the ball. 
um, but they bring back uh, Kirk Soraka as their offensive coordinator, who's had um, a great deal of success, especially with Tanner Morgan at Minnesota uh, in the past. They get Mo Ibrahim back, who's returning from a really bad injury that knocked him out um, last year. And they've got uh, Chris Hotman bell at wide receiver there. So they've got a lot of great pieces on offense to make up um, for where they lacked last year. Yeah, bringing Soraka back I think is a huge up for them because he brings back an RPO offense that Minnesota was greatly lacking last season where they just weren't dynamic, right? They were so focused on that run game because they had an average body weight on that line of 337 pounds. Now, they've dropped down in size on that offensive line and gone down to about an average of 318, but that's still a pretty darn good offensive line. And when you make Tanner Morgan more than one-dimensional, right, you know he's not going to always just drop back and pass. He's got options there. I think that you start to play towards his strengths. And we saw in 2019, he could be a hell of a quarterback when the offense around him was geared towards his strengths as opposed to the team as a whole strengths, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that this season does not live and die on Tanner Morgan's arm the way it did last year. So I, too, am high on what this offense is going to be capable of. I'm a little less high on the defense, but we can get into the specifics of that when we jump over there. Mm -hmm. But you you named a lot of the things that really jump out at me. I mean, they return Mo Ibrahim, they return Chris Ottman-Bell, and then they bring back John Michael Schmitz as their center. And him with Tanner Morgan, P.J. Fleck gave them some nickname, like the Fantastic Four or something like that, or like the the – haven't graduated for, I don't know what they're called, but something along those lines. But they really are four key players that uh, are going to make a huge impact on that offense. And you you look and you go, oh, man. So the offensive line room has a leader. The wide receiver room has a leader. The running back room has a leader. The quarterbacks have a leader. All you're missing is the tight ends, right? And well, even, we even they, they've got uh, Brevin Spanford, who, yeah. you know, he doesn't, he doesn't do a lot in terms of rece- receiving the ball, but that's just a Minnesota thing, right? right? They don't rely on their tight ends in the passing game. They might do that a little more with him, but he, I would, I would say he's one of the, one of the better tight ends in the league, especially when, when it comes to blocking, sure. being an extension of the offensive line, um, helping them produce when it comes to running. So, yeah, here's a question. What do you think was a bigger hit to that team? last year where they may have lost some momentum do you think it was losing to ohio state or losing mo ibrahim in the first game i think it was losing mo ibrahim yeah because because they they know what he is like mm-hmm. they know what he brings to the table for them um and he was doing damage against a team like really ohio was. state yeah and so that hit i don't know if it necessarily cost him like momentum because they continued on with their running game without yeah. almost without missing a beat even and they lost more than mo they they lost some other guys back there too i think they had three running backs in succession like go out boom, go boom, out go boom. out and then yeah. a guy named bucky ran all over nebraska yeah. yeah so so they they recovered well from that and i and i think that's actually going to um, play into their hand this year like that's going to benefit them because they know hey we get we get our best running back back maybe one of the best running backs in the conference yeah but if we, but if he struggles, you know, if he's not back to where he was pre-injury, we know that we've got these other guys behind him that are going to, you know, carry the ball and, and and keep us rolling. So, so I think we're in line. We we foresee Minnesota being a pretty high-scoring, pretty effective offense. Yeah, yeah. yeah th- their biggest question is the offensive line. Sure, they've got they've got Schmitz at center, but um, other than that, they lost all the, their other four starters. They bring in a couple of transfers um, from Michigan, from Notre Dame. Um, so they'll they'll they should be able to restock this line. And again, they've got these tight ends that uh, help with the blocking in the run game. And so I don't think that they're I think their offensive line will take a step back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think they're going to take a huge step back. Yeah, it's interesting. I think they'll take a step back, but it's almost like that step back is allowed. 
right? The, the kind of offense that they're going to run, they don't need to be able to make a step forward or stay where they were. Mm-hmm. But when they had Tanner Morgan, who just wasn't completing passes at a clip that he was supposed to, in nine wins, he completed 63% of his passes, but in their four losses, he completed only 43%. So that team lived and died by his arm, right? Yeah. And, and that was really just in those moments where they needed long yardage. If they could convert, they would win those games. If they couldn't convert, they would lose those games because teams just loaded the box and went up against them. And if, if you shut down the run, you shut down Minnesota. Well, shoot, Nebraska tried to do that last year, and they just kept running. Yeah. So they completed passes when they needed to. They ran all over us. They did that to eight other teams. Yeah. How do you feel Nebraska's defense then this year matches up against Minnesota's offense? Um, that's tough. Again, like I just I feel queasy when I think about Wisconsin or when I think about what when I think about Wisconsin, yes. But I feel queasy when I think about Minnesota just because of how effective um they run the ball on us and and just the the size, the way that they just love to grind like chew the clock, grind time, keep keep our offense off. Uh, the field I like I like our defense I think we have a great defense but I also think that the Big Ten West just has a ton of great defenses anyway and so it's not unusual for Minnesota to be going up against a you know a, a defense that teams lean on right Iowa leans on their defense Wisconsin leans on it Minnesota does too so I don't know man like I like our defense I don't like us against Minnesota sure in general I think that's fair I'm looking forward to what our defensive line can do against maybe a younger or a less experienced offensive line, especially with Nebraska's focus this year on the pass rush. When you know that Tanner Morgan struggles as a quarterback throwing the ball, if we can get him off schedule, I think that we have a nice chance against them because then we know it's going to be a one-dimensional game. We can start to to play towards that. But, yeah, I'm with you. that this This offense – feels like one of the few teams in the Big Ten and the Big Ten West where it's they're not leading by their defense. Their offense is going to be the leaders. They're kind of like Purdue in that sense where I feel like this offense is going to be a highlight, but I think they're going to have an even better defense than a Purdue's going to have. Yeah. So let's talk about it then. Let's talk about their defense. What jumps out at you about this team from last year, moving into this year? What do you got? Um, well, so the, the biggest losses that they have on the defensive side of the ball are going to be their defensive end, Boy Mafe. Um, and then their leading tackler from last year was a linebacker, Jack Gibbons. So they lose a couple of pieces. Um, last year, they were, again, they were an incredible defense. They were really great in, in not giving up points, not giving up yards. Their one area that they really struggled, though, was to generate any sort of a pass rush or get tackles for loss. And so it's pretty, pretty great that they were, for them, that they were able to be so successful despite you know, lacking in that pass rush department, which a lot of, uh, you hear that a lot, like you, in order to be a great defense, you got to have a pass rush. They did it without that. And so um, they've got a couple of guys this year in defense events, Thomas Rush and Jod Joyner, who they're going to lean on um, to make up for the loss of Boy Mafa. So we'll see how they do there. Um, and then at the linebacker spot, they're they're bringing him back, uh, Mariano Sori Marin, who is a great player. So hopefully he makes up for that, that loss of uh, Jack Gibbons. You did mention some question marks, right, with the pass rush and with um, their key tackler, their leading tackler from last year, graduating. Uh, but no but, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, they, they are going to be breaking in new corners. So, you know, when you talk about their secondary, their, their safeties are both returning. 
Um, so that'll be another strength on their defense. Their question mark, I think, is going to be at that center or the excuse me, the corner position. Yeah. Um, so if you know if Nebraska can get into some some favorable one on ones, maybe on the edges, they might be able to attack them there. Not to, to read too much into what Nebraska is posting on social media and their practice coverage and stuff like that, but it appears that they're practicing more 50-50 balls for their wide receivers. In turn, they're practicing that with the new secondary as well that Nebraska is going to have. But I like seeing that. I like seeing that trust and that faith. And I think part of that comes from having a guy like Casey Thompson, who's smart about those throws, wide receivers like a Marcus Washington, who's familiar with that kind of play and letting guys go up there and get it. I think that builds confidence. And the more of those that you win and they start to turn into 60, 40 balls and 70, 30 balls. And you know, where you're really, this episode is just all about balls, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But, but I think to beat a team like a Minnesota, you're going to have to win more of those battles than not. You're going to have to have big plays and Nebraska wasn't, the greatest at those big plays they were just a efficient offense when it came to gaining yards and so making that next step forward and being explosive I think is how you beat a team like this not knowing what Nebraska's offense is going to be looking like against again against these like really great defenses it's it's hard to say you know how how they're going to best attack them on paper this this could be a really good team this year yeah unfortunately yeah as much as i hate to say it i'm trying to be objective right now right like i'm not trying to get in that nebraska fan headset yeah uh but it's it's hard when you're rolling your eyes at every fucking thing (laughs) i say (laughs) so for this game i have actually i have minnesota taking the win um i have it being a close game i have nebraska putting up 27 points but i have minnesota walking away with 32 and just doing enough to get the job done uh pains me to say it but you know Culture is going to win out over talent, I guess. <laughs> I I would not argue with anybody who says Minnesota will win this game. <laughs> I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna put you down there, but I'm still not willing as as high as I am on them. I think that they are the bronze Gophers this year. I think they're going to finish third in the West. Um, I think they'll have a good season, but I I'm not willing to say that Nebraska will lose to them again. Nebraska's at home. I think Nebraska is going to be playing meaningful games at that point in the season, which you haven't necessarily been able to say when they've lined up against Minnesota. And so I've got Nebraska squeaking it out 24-23. It'll be wow. very, I think it'll be very uncomfortable, but I think it, it's going to be, it has the, we have the opportunity to win this game and kind of point to that as uh, our momentum builder sure. going into the final few games of the season. When I look at Nebraska's win-loss, game by game those are the kind of games that I'm just not confident we're going to be winning and I can't imagine the confidence boost just as a fan to see us squeak out a one-point win when the closest we've come to that is what Scott Frost's first season when we beat Michigan State nine to six yeah you know so a, a game like that I think would actually make a lot of fans go oh shit right you lose big you lose small you win small you win big yeah is this the start of something yeah and there, and there are a lot of teams on our schedule that we could win small against, like good quality teams that you can win small against, and, it, and that would be perfectly acceptable because you're winning. Well, let's move on so. <laughs> from Minnesota, and let's talk about a team that we're going to absolutely thrash. <laughs> we covered Northwestern already. There's no, there is oh. no <laughs> doubt. Re- forget what I say in the future, but right now, let's talk about Wisconsin. So 
On November 19th, the Wisconsin Badgers make their way to one Memorial Stadium drive when the Cardinal and Whites take on the Scarlet and Creams. At this point, only God knows what time kickoff is scheduled for, and that guy refuses to take calls from Kevin Warren. The Badgers are led by head coach Paul Christ, who holds a record of 65-23 and 23 at Wisconsin and has never finished below third in the Big Ten West. Wisconsin's 2021 campaign ended at 9-4 and four overall and a 6-3 and three in-conference record. The Badgers ended up third in the Big Ten West, having dropped the tiebreaker for second to Minnesota in the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe. Wisconsin capped their season with a less-than-dominant 2013 win over Arizona State in the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl, but a bowl's a bowl, and I'm only angry because I'm jealous. Nebraska had a chance last year against Wisconsin, even after giving up a game-opening kickoff return for a touchdown, but key turnovers in Wisconsin's power run game proved too much for the Huskers. This year, the Huskers hope to double their win total against Wisconsin since joining the Big Ten, going from one to two. The stage is set, and the home field advantage is ours. On November 19th, when the clock hits zero, let's hope we're jumping around for joy and not off the top row of the North Stadium. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That got dark. (laughs) That's good times, good times. My bad. (laughs) Didn't realize we couldn't go dark. All right, Drew. Wisconsin. Wisconsin, true or false. Wisconsin. Here we go. Everyone knows that G.I. Joe has a scar on his cheek because Hasbro needed to devise a way to copyright the world's first action figure, and the human figure alone cannot be copyrighted. But did you know G.I. Joe's birthplace is the fictional town of Willows, Wisconsin? That doesn't sound fake Wisconsin enough. It should be like Wisconsin, Wisconsin, (laughs) or... McQuano, Wisconsin, or something like that. I'm going to go yeah. with true because <laughs> <laughs> because so, I feel like it's true. So that's false. God. Willows, Wisconsin, is a fictional town. Okay, um, that Barbie was born in oh. actually. And so yeah. Well, I will learn that in the 2023 Greta Gerwig film Barbie, starring Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. Yeah, you know way too much I, about that film. I could probably start a podcast yeah. about that film. Really? I'm so excited. I'm just now finding out that there is Everything, a 2023 film about Barbie. Every costume piece that they are in is neon and it looks obnoxious and I cannot wait. Wow. Anyways, go ahead back to back to the podcast. In uh so in 1967, no, oh, hang on. I've got to save that. I didn't write very much down but except for that one thing. So <laughs> Okay, so so Barbie was born in Willows, Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, and Barbie was such a huge success, obviously, that Hasbro wanted to create a doll for boys. Yeah. But they knew that boys wouldn't play with a doll, and so they created an action figure. Okay. Um, which is G.I. Joe. Uh, and then, which proved to be also incredibly successful. Yeah. And they, then they decided, well, what if we got girls to play with action figures? And so in so 19- very forward thinking. Yeah. Like they were, yeah, they were playing off their own success and like good trying for to them. take steps. Um, so in 19, don't say good for them just yet. <laughs> in 1967, Hasbro introduced GI nurse action girl. There's the sexism. <laughs> yeah, there it there is. There it is. It was quote, a spectacular failure. <laughs> Wait, say, say the, say the name again. It's so good. GI nurse action girl. They didn't even give her a first name. They gave her. They gave her nothing. It was. It's like boy, girl, boy, girl. Yeah. It's so. Oh, it's so great. GI uh, nurse action girl. Yeah. <laughs> so once it hit shelves, um, 
retailers had no idea what to do with it. Like they didn't know if it belonged next to Barbie or next to GI Joe or what. Or in the trash. Or, yeah, well, and that's where most of them ended up. So it only lasted one year, and then that was out the window. So it's now a collector's item. If you can find an original GI Nurse Action Girl, <laughs> it's incredible that that exists. I feel like um, that's an answer a kindergartner gives. For like, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I just want to be a GI nurse action girl. <laughs> okay. Well, you you pick one of those and yeah. <laughs> we'll move forward. Oh, man, that's great. Uh, All right. What do you got? Here's what I got for you. The University of Wisconsin is known for numerous longstanding traditions, including the fifth quarter, jump around, and it holds the title of the first ever Big Ten Conference champion in 1896. While other universities have changed the name of their mascot over time, Wisconsin has held on to the Badger moniker since their team's inception. Ooh, so I know, I know how they got their name. Well, They're that's not... part of my answer, but oh, so I okay, I won't give it away. Um, I don't know if they've had it the entire time, though. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say false because most I feel like most teams probably have changed at some point. Yeah, that's what I thought too, but it's true. Wow. They've been the Badgers Loyal. this whole damn time. So tell us, how did they get the name? Oh, if only you didn't know. <laughs> so they aren't actually named after the animal. And in the 1820s and the 1830s, prospectors came to the state looking for minerals, primarily lead. Without shelter in the winter, the miners had to, quote, live like badgers in tunnels burrowed into hillsides. So they're named after the miners that came to town looking for lead. Yeah. Yeah. Look, <laughs> to put in their lead. GI <laughs> nurse action girl. <laughs> Oh, so they could have they could have just as easily been named the Wisconsin Miners. They could have. Hmm. They could have. Or Hole Dwellers. The Wisconsin <laughs> Hole Dwellers. The Wisconsin you know what, Poisoned. The, the Wisconsin Paint Chip Eaters. <laughs> I was just going to say, the Wisconsin Prospect Prospectors would be a pretty damn cool oh, team. Prospectors, name. I like that one. Yeah. yeah. What, why wasn't Washington that? Washington the Washington prospectors. prospectors. That's cool. I mean, it has nothing to do with their state. No, it's got a nice ring to it. Yeah. Yeah. Take note. If we ever start our own uh, franchise for a team, our own be the university. <laughs> uh. Well, this Wisconsin team, man, they are a conundrum in my mind. They yeah. are a a real honest to goodness question mark, and I think they could be great, or I think they could be not great. You you think they could be not? Great. Why do you think they could be not great? I think that they're very similar into how we'll talk about Iowa, how Iowa can be not great. Okay. These these two teams, the last two teams on Nebraska's schedule, we're kind of flipping this around, but they live and die by their defense. Yes. Right? These are teams that are exemplary in defensive football. They're focused on being defensive teams, and I think that comes from the mindset that they are a developmental program. We are here to take no-star, two-star, three-star, and turn them into – first round defensive draft picks and give these guys the tools for success. And year after year after year, Wisconsin and Iowa continue to do that. The question mark comes in, can they score points? I really like obviously Wisconsin's running backs. I don't like anything else about their offense. And to me, the question mark is, can they score points? I know they're able to stop teams from scoring points, but can they themselves score points? If right. the answer is yes, I mean, I was about to say, if they can score more points than the other team, they're going to win. But that <laughs> little John Maddeny there, but rest in peace. But when it comes to this this team, again, they've got all five of their running backs returning from last year. They have got Braylon Allen, who's just going to run all over everyone again. And he's not one of those 
running backs like, oh, we hear about him and he's supposed to be really good, but then he comes through and doesn't do anything. This is a guy that produces. Yeah. And he doesn't always produce because he has a great offensive line. He produces because he is hard to fucking tackle. Yeah. And that's how Nebraska lost last year. We could not tackle Braylon Allen. And he scored late on us. Mm-hmm. And we lost the game. So I don't know how you feel about that, but I think that, that these teams really, I mean, quarterback play for Wisconsin is garbage. It is. Yeah. I agree 100%. They, they're, they're not going to beat you through the air consistently. Right. Uh, unless the next great white tight end is on their team right now, which probably is. Yeah, his name's Clay Cundiff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's in his bio. <laughs> great white tight end. Yeah. But between, so between Mertz and Wolf, the one and two quarterbacks, mm-hmm. they threw 11 touchdowns and 13 interceptions. They had a negative ratio. Is that by. bad? Yeah, that's really bad. <laughs> yeah. We're better than that, right? Yeah. But they have this stable of running backs led by Braylon Allen, who ran for 1,268 yards, an average of 6.8 yards per carry. And like that came after probably contact by two different defenders. This guy is hard to bring down, and that's just the kind of running back that Wisconsin likes to go for. So if they can continue to score points on that front, if defenses can't stop them there, I I don't know how you slow this Wisconsin team down because they're just going to constantly reload on defense. Yeah. So I agree that that Wisconsin and Iowa are similar in a lot of regards that you talked about, but I think Wisconsin is different in the sense that they're Wisconsin. And that last year was a down year for them, and they were nine and four. Iowa was on an up year with that, and they went with ten wins or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk again. We'll talk about them, and I'll tell you all the reasons why they suck. Uh, <laughs> Wisconsin. I just have faith in Wisconsin to figure it out. They, I know they have a new OC. I know Graham Mertz sucks. I have a stat on him, by the way. This is incredible. So this comes from um, College Football Film Room. Mm-hmm. His on-target rate. On the deep ball last year, ranked him 511th out of 513 qualified quarterbacks over the last five seasons. Oh my gosh. Like, it was bad, 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 bad. They stopped using him. They just leaned on their run game for a while um, in the middle of the season. They caught momentum. They figured their offense out. And then the back half of the season, he actually came on a little bit better. They fixed that uh, touchdown interception ratio. He was completing a higher percentage of passes. I think he was like 65, 66%, which is very respectable. Um, And he was a lot more effective towards the end of the season. They were playing a lot easier teams, granted. Um, So the schedule lightened up, and that helped them too. But they also don't, I don't know. I don't think that they're, I don't think that you're going to see the worst of them this year. I think you're going to see at least an incremental improvement. Like a tiny little. Like the tiniest little improvement. Because I think they're figuring out what they have with Graham Mertz. And I think that Wisconsin is going to realize that they don't need him to be great because they've never needed a great quarterback. No, they never have, and they know how to. They know how to function with shitty quarterbacks. Sure, sure. So they just need him to be a little less shitty, and I think he can be because he's shown he he's shown he has talent. You know, he's shown he can he can go off every once in a while. So if you mix in like a few games from him where he has really spectacular game, you know, and he, and he goes off for five touchdowns and whatever and 400 and some yards, and then all the other games you just rely on that run game that you have, I think that they can put together 9, 10, 11 wins. I don't disagree with you. I, Wisconsin, to me, is the team that wins the West this year. I think they're going to be a good team. I just think that they have the ability to teeter-totter the other direction really easily. I think that they live on a razor's edge. 
and, and that has to do with how good that defense is, right? If that defense falters, the whole offensive scheme crumbles. But I just don't see the defensive faltering. I, that was my next question. That yeah. was like, do you see that happening? Because no. I don't either. No, because they have the best defensive coordinator probably in the Big Ten in Leonard. And then probably in the nation. Probably. Yeah. Probably. And even though, let's just switch over to defense. Yeah. Even, even though they're losing their entire linebacking core, by the time they play Nebraska in November, they're going to have that shit figured out. And that to me is so frustrating. That's what I that's I wrote that almost verbatim in my in my prediction coming up. But yeah, yeah. So a couple of things. Their their rush defense last year was incredible. It was first nationally. They gave up sixty one rushing yards per game. Their one point nine nine yards per attempt was a full half yard less than the number two team of Georgia. Like no other team came anywhere close to stopping the run like they did. And they returned that defensive line. They they returned. A big chunk of that front seven. A big chunk is literally, literally. how every Wisconsin player could. <laughs> They're all their nicknames. Yeah. Are big chunk. Yeah. Um, their secondary. So last year, their secondary was actually pretty good. They were fourth nationally in their in their pass efficiency defense. The question for them this year is whether they can do that again without the same guys. So they're going to be a little thin. It's their safety spot. They're going to have to reload there on the back half of their um, defense. But I think they're also not going to play enough teams that rely on the pass game to yeah. a point where that becomes a glaring issue and most I, of the time. And I think that's why that pass efficiency rating is so high. Last year, on a rewatch of this game, Nebraska was moving the ball through the air on Wisconsin very easily. The errors were on our end. They were on Nebraska's side. They were a poorly thrown ball, a bad decision, and then a lazy attempt at a reception. So Nebraska had the momentum. They had the lead. They had the skill to go against that secondary, and the offensive line was doing a pretty damn good job holding and giving time for the ball to get out of the quarterback's hand. There were just dumb mistakes after dumb mistakes, and a Wisconsin team, similar to an Iowa team, is going to make you pay for those mistakes. That's That, to me, is like the biggest bottom line, right? Is yeah. Even if you play 85 or 90% perfect, they're going to take advantage of that 10%, and they hone in on that 10%, regardless of what the rest of their team is doing. Yeah. Do you see any any opportunity for Nebraska to pull off the win? Well, <laughs> no. I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, I I do. Okay. Okay. And I don't predict it's going to happen. I still mm-hmm. think this is a game where Wisconsin's going to come out on top because I don't think Nebraska's there yet. But. Here's how I could see this happening, and I'm going to break down some numbers for you. Okay, I like numbers. So I'm going to do a quarterback comparison, and the reason I'm going to do that is two misplaced balls from Adrian led to two stalled drives and the deciding factor in the game last season. With a more productive and protective Casey Thompson behind center, Nebraska may keep up with Wisconsin on the scoreboard because Nebraska's defense was fairly efficient. There were some bad missed tackles, and, and I'm not going to excuse that. There were, there were two that led to touchdowns as well. But I think Nebraska has the skill players and they have the offense to actually attack Wisconsin at their weakness. Now, Adrian Martinez played 39 games for Nebraska. He had 80 total touchdowns. 45 of those were passing. 35 were rushing. Casey Thompson has played 15 games. He's had 35 total touchdowns. 30 were passing. 5 were rushing. That averages out to Adrian having 2.05 touchdowns a game and Casey having 2.33. Adrian had 1.15 passing touchdowns per game. Casey had two. Adrian had 0.89 rushing touchdowns per game. Casey had 0.33. So we can start to see that through the air, 
Casey is a more effective quarterback for scoring against a team like a Wisconsin. In his career, Adrian had 30 interceptions. Casey has had nine. That breaks down to 0.76 interceptions per game for Adrian, 0.6 interceptions per game for Casey. Here's the difference. Adrian has lost 18 fumbles. He's had more fumbles than that, but he's lost 18. Okay. Casey Thompson has lost one. I'm going to say that again. Casey Thompson has lost one. That means that Casey Thompson turns the ball over per game 0.66 times. Less than one turnover on average per game. As much as I love the guy, these numbers were very eye-opening. Adrian Martinez turns the ball over over 1.25 times per game. That's a huge discrepancy, yeah. right? That's one more turnover per game. If we took one turnover away from last year's game, Nebraska is either going into overtime or wins the game. What I, what I see there is the way to win the game is to play protective football, strike when the opportunity is there, but play smart. You are not going to outsmart this defense. Your mistakes are going to be called out. They're going to be the annoying kid in class when you misspell a word or mispronounce a word or do something like that. They're going to call your grammar, your math, whatever out. They're not going to let you get by with your mistakes. So you have to play mistake-free. You don't have to have the statistical best game of your career. You don't have to have crazy passing yards, but you have to have effective passing yards. The last thing I want to point out, though, with this comparison, and, and this is my immediate mental objection, is Adrian was a running quarterback. Mm -hmm. So, of course, he's going to have more fumbles in his career. And the benefit of having a guy like Adrian over a Casey is well, he can scramble. He can get out of there. He can break away. He was sacked 84 times in his career at Nebraska. Casey Thompson was sacked 18 times in his career so far. That for Adrian is 2.15 sacks per game. Casey, it's 1.2. I, I like the way that Casey Thompson plays as it pertains to Wisconsin. He seems like a more consistent player with holding on to the ball, and that's how you beat a team like this. Yeah. I guess just a few things that run through my mind as you say that. One big thing is it's going to be a different offense, and so that could create just different numbers. Sure. Right? Yep, and I, I fully which expect I know you, that. Yeah. Which, yeah, I know you know. Two, there was I'm, there was a quote that came out recently from one of the offensive linemen who said, um, with Adrian scrambling, they never knew where he was, ever. And it made it hard to block. Yeah, it was Prohaska. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yep. And with Casey, they say, like, his pocket presence is just much better. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not to put anything on Adrian, because, again, we like him. I think we both agree, like, he, like we like him as a person and as a player. Mm-hmm. Enjoyed his career. I'm not going to shit on the guy. It's their, it's their it's, style of play, though. I it's, mean, like, it's, it's fundamental. It's the way he plays, but it's also, I think, the way that that offense was. I think it's the way that he, he and I don't think he created this, but he probably believed that he needed to do a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When he had in to, order to I mean, be successful. The, yeah. He wasn't wrong. Yeah. Right. He did not have so yeah, he didn't an offensive that line. Mind. He yeah. didn't have the skill players who were consistent. He didn't have running backs who could get through a crummy offensive line the way that, like, uh, Chase Brown could or an Evan Hole could at I Illinois and Northwestern, respectively. He just never had those players. Um, and, and so Adrian had to have that style of play. He had to have a more highs and lows style of play where he took more risks. And it was, you know, that kind of risk reward situation. Yeah. But I feel like with a quarterback like Casey Thompson, who is more styled to sit in the pocket and get rid of the ball when he doesn't see something there and is, is smart with the ball and holds on to the ball, 
that to me is how you get closer to a team like this when you want to have an offense like Scott Frost and Mark Whipple are putting together. Yes, and I think that that's. I think it's going to be a lot more stable overall. I hope. I hope it works. What I imagine it's going to be. I hope it works, and I think it will be much more effective, not just against Wisconsin, but just against the Big Ten West in general. Sure, because they're all very similar. Don't you just love the preseason where you're like, I have no answers, but I'm going <laughs> to come up with them anyways. Yes. Um, speaking of. For, for this Wisconsin game, I, I have Wisconsin pulling out the win in the preseason. I reserve the right to change this 100% come game time. Yeah. Uh, but I see them winning 28-23. I see them just running, running the damn ball, doing the damn thing, and holding Nebraska's offense. Yeah, I've got it, I've got it at 28-20 to 20, um, in favor of Wisconsin right now. And like I said earlier, like it was, it's because we play them a little bit later. They're big question mark at linebacker has everything to do with the lack of experience there, but all the pieces around that position are in place, and so I feel like that defense is just going to be fucking rolling by the time that that we meet them. Um, and, I, and again, I don't think that they're going to need a good offense. They're not going to need a good Graham Mertz. To well, they're not going to get one. <laughs> <laughs> That's an oxymoron if I've ever uh, heard one. <laughs> All right, before we move on, we want to take a quick moment to talk about our show partner, the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. As we mentioned at the top of the show, Wannabe Walk-Ons is the official podcast of the NCBG. We do our show with no outside funding or advertising because we don't want to take away from what it's all about. Beer, football, beer, and celebrating the communities we love. Our partnership with the Guild is not a paid partnership. It's simply a platform to share our show with folks we think will enjoy the things that we're talking about. This past winter, the Guild was instrumental in passing legislation that would allow Nebraska brewers to self-distribute limited quantities of their beer without the need for a middleman. This new law allows the smaller brewers a chance to compete locally with some of the bigger craft brewers in the state. This is a huge step forward for a lot of the brewers in small towns like Taylor, Alliance, Seward, and Syracuse, just to name a few. When you drink craft beer, you're supporting local small businesses, which is important now more than ever. So if you're a fan of craft beer like we are, you can support the NCBG by joining the Nebraska Beer Alliance. Being a member gives you access to exclusive discounts, Nebraska beer merch, and members-only information. You can learn more about the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild, find local breweries, and join the Nebraska Beer Alliance by visiting nebraska.beer. Before we dive into talking Iowa Hawkeyes football, we've Boo. got our <laughs> we've got our second beer from Johnny Bird Yay. Brewing. Yay! We like those birds. Uh, hey, nice. Yeah, there we yeah. go. So we've got our second beer from Johnny Bird Brewing Company in Wayne, Nebraska, and that is Abe's Honey Porter. Uh, Drew, why don't you tell us a little bit about this beer? I I don't see the ABVs because it's turned away from me, it's, but I don't know you, if I want to. Yeah, know. you might not want to. It's so this thing clocks in at seven point seven four percent. Yeah, which is huge for a porter. Yeah, just a porter, right? Um, a big reason behind that is the honey that goes in there. So honey is a is a sugar. Obviously, it's highly fermentable, um, even by sugar standards. And uh, but and sugar it, has high standards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so that's what you can dump honey into a, into a beer and it's going to bump that ABV up in a big way. Um, the nice thing about honey though, is that when it does ferment, it still will leave behind some of its characteristics, some of its flavors and stuff. And so, um, you gotta, usually gotta put in quite a bit to, to really get it to come through, especially in a beer that's got a lot of malt profile like this, like the Porter has, but they've done a good job of getting that to happen. So. Yeah, I really like how the sweetness complements the porter profile, mm-hmm. right? You've got the the malt, you've got the bitterness, and that's really well balanced. And it's a really nice porter on its own without that honey addition. 
but it's that finish, that velvet, that sweetness, and it's not a sugar sweetness, right? It's that mm-hmm. floral honey. I wouldn't be surprised if it's real honey, like unprocessed honey or something along those lines that's being used in this beer because it doesn't taste like that fake stuff you put on a biscuit from KFC, right? It <laughs> right. tastes like real honey. <laughs> not knocking that. Right. I squeeze those butter packets straight into my mouth, but... <laughs> But this is a really nice beer, man. I think this might be one of their flagship beers as well. I can see why. And it's so so crushable. This would be such a bad one. It's scary that yeah. it's crushable. Yeah. Yeah. And I love porters. Porters are hard to find cuz usually with darker beers like it's it's all about the imperial stout. Mm-hmm. Porters just for whatever reason just don't have much of a market, it seems. And so anytime I come across porter, I'll I'll snag it. Well, um, I got to be honest. I, I picked these specifically for you, right? Uh-huh. I picked a it's pale ale because I know you're a big pale ale guy. Same thing. Yeah, and it's I, hard to find the pale ale because the IPA. And I picked the porter because I know you're a porter fan. Yeah. So well, well done. Yeah. yeah, well done, Johnny Bird. Yeah, and I, I guess we should also say this is our first time having Johnny Bird. Yes, it is. Yeah. With all the breweries we've had around the state, this is our very first sampling of them. And I got to say, they did not disappoint not in the all. slightest. Well and worth the trip out there. Yeah. If you guys ever get the chance to go to uh, Wayne, Nebraska, if you're up at Wayne State University, you're making the rounds through to some northern Nebraska breweries, you're heading up to Big Hair, or you're heading to Divots or something like that, make the trip to Wayne as well. Check out their tap room. It's a really cool space. And uh, tell them Wannabe Walk-On sent you. It'll mean nothing to them. But <laughs> Who? It, it'll, <laughs> it'll mean everything to us. Yeah. All right, Drew. Uh, okay. We're drinking a black beer. For a Black Friday matchup yep. against a team that wears black. Yeah. And someone who's coached by someone I'd like to give a black eye to. <laughs> Let me give my introduction. Yes, please. We'll go to true or false. We'll try and keep it tame. Okay. Do your best. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm not guaranteeing nothing. <laughs> Nebraska plays Iowa in Iowa City on Friday, November 25th. Kickoff is scheduled for 3 p.m. on the Big Ten Network. It's been a long off-season thanks in major part to a capping of 2021 with a soul-crushing Black Friday loss to Iowa. The only thing that's given me solace in regards to Iowa football is knowing that no matter how much I hate head coach Kirk Ferentz and his undescended testicle of a son, O.C. Brian (laughs) Ferentz, Iowa fans hate them more. I draw this conclusion not on my own, but from evidence found on websites like change.org, where Iowa Hawkeye fans have organized petitions for the removal of their coaches, some petitions receiving more than two or 3,000 signatures. We're not alone in hating Iowa, and if we could ever do anything to help out our neighbors to the east, it's to finally fucking beat the Hawkeyes under Scott Frost and get their program one step forward to moving on from the Ferences. That's all I have for you know, Iowa. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> True or false? Amazing. <laughs> okay. I've been holding on to calling Brian Ferentz an undescended <laughs> testicle <laughs> for way too long. So like, I think I had that. I think I had that, like, in March. Yeah. I was like, man, that guy seems like just a, a non-nut. Like, he's just yeah. a... Brilliant. All right, what do you got for true or false? Okay, here we go. Buckle up, folks. It's a long it's, piece yeah, of paper. Yeah, so... I'm just going to sit back I'm not going to hold back this. on words. I hope you all like my voice. <laughs> I'm going to sit back and refill my Johnny Bird real quick. Here we go. Everyone knows, between 1911 and 1917, Iowa had over 10,000 miles of railroads and today they still have over 4,000 miles in operation. But did you know Iowa is home to the world's shortest, steepest railroad? Shortest, steepest railroad. Mm -hmm. That sounds like the world's least effective, efficient, and necessary (laughs) railroad. If I could describe Iowa, it would be unnecessary, inefficient, and ineffective. And I'm not talking Iowa football. 
I'm talking about the <laughs> state. The state. True. It is true. Yes. Yes. Okay. Suck it, Iowa. Here's why, and it's incredible. <laughs> so I t- the story comes from the uh, the FenelonPlaceElevator.com. Okay, and I made some edits for brevity, which should tell you something <laughs> about how wordy this fucking website is. Okay. In 1882, Dubuque was an hour and a half town. At noon, everything shut down for an hour and a half when everyone went home for dinner. Mr. J.K. Graves, a wealthy banker, lived on top of the bluffs and worked at the bottom. Unfortunately, he had to spend half an hour driving his horse and buggy around the bluff to get to the top and then another half an hour to return downtown even though his bank was only two and a half blocks away. Mm. Mr. Graves liked to take half an hour for his dinner and then, most importantly, half an hour to nap. But this was impossible because of the long buggy ride. As a traveler, he had seen inclined railways in Europe and decided that a cable car would solve his problem. He petitioned the city for the right to build. The franchise was granted on June 5th, 1882, The original cable car, which was built for Mr. Graves' private use, had a plain wood building that housed a coal-fired steam engine and a winch. For an an Iowan, this guy seems pretty all right. (laughs) So, okay, so his his cable car uh, first operated on July 25th, 1882, but before long, the neighbors began meeting him at the elevator and asked him for rides. Fucking neighbors. (laughs) And so he decided to open it to the public, being the nice guy he was, but he was going to charge five cents a ride. Fair. Fair enough, right? So it turns out if you build a wooden, if you build a wooden car and you uh, use a coal-fired steam engine boiler. Oh, yep, I'm seeing uh, how this, you see where this could goes. go wrong. Fires occur. Um, so the, there was a fire that, that destroyed the rail car, uh, not once but twice. And so finally a group got together. They reconstructed the whole thing with modern upgrades, blah, blah, blah. Um, a Mr. Trewin, he added garages to the north and south sides of um, an operator's house in 1916. And this is my favorite part. He added a second floor apartment uh, to one of the buildings on the top of the bluff, uh, which the neighborhood men used for a meeting room where they could smoke cigars and play cards without the wives interfering. So your true or false has all been very sexist. I just want to <laughs> super, super duper sexist. It's just all on their website. This is okay. all. I'm just okay. taking it from their website. Um, in 1962, there was a yet another fire. They rebuilt it. The price went up to $0.10 cents a ride. Yeah. Today, the cost for an adult is $2 for a one-way or $4 for a round trip because inflation. Am I right? Yeah. You know, I feel like um, it should be three fifty for a round trip. Like, I should get a $0.50 a cent discount. discount. Yeah, yeah, for buying both both directions. You'd think so, but I, no. I, I would not ride that. The shortest, steepest rail, railway no. in America? Not no. in America, in the world? No, um, because it sounds like they didn't rebuild it very recently. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I know that we're going to do a lot of shitting on Iowa. Mm-hmm. I have been to Dubuque. I can't wait. Okay. And it is actually a very beautiful city. The bluffs are really nice. It's right on the river. They're super inconvenient, though. The horse and buggy takes a half an hour alone. Oh, yeah. Well, I have a car, and <laughs> <laughs> that made getting around Dubuque very easy. But it is a very nice town. If you're going to go to Iowa, it's as far east as you can go. <laughs> you got to go through the whole damn thing. But I'd move there if it wasn't for the fucking Hawkeyes. <laughs> <laughs> if only Iowa was Nebraska, yeah. you know? Shit. All right. Well, that's a good one. That's a good true or false. I like that. True or false, Drew? <laughs> Herky the Hawkeye, the University of Iowa's costume mascot since 1959, 
pulls his first name from the Greek god Hercules. Okay. Staying consistent with Hercules' invincibility, the headpiece of Herky the Hawkeye's costume is bulletproof. Why? <laughs> True or false? False. There's no reason for that. Will you read that word for me right there? Wow. Shoot him in the leg. <laughs> <laughs> so that's true. And there's a story behind it. There, yeah, there because has to be. Because thank God there's a story yeah. behind it. On November 22nd, 1997, during a 31-0 Iowa victory over Minnesota at Kinnick Stadium, a Golden Gopher drummer had a cup of water thrown on his face by Herky after the drummer used his drumstick to tap Herky on his shoulder pad. Okay. I see some... Th- Things escalating here. As Herky stepped away, he was tackled from behind by the drummer. Rather than take a hand offered to help the mascot to his feet, Herky broke the drummer's glasses with a punch to the face. Wow, don't hit the kid in the glasses. (laughs) (laughs) The end result of Herky's assault on the drummer was the breaking of a historic 40-year-old mascot head. Members of the Minnesota band took small trophy pieces of the broken helmet back to Minnesota, the helmet was remade of Kevlar for the 1998 season. The biggest overreaction in this whole story is the Kevlar. No, the biggest overreaction is why doesn't Iowa and Minnesota play for the broken piece of he- of mascot <gasps> yeah. head trophy? Oh man, all of Minnesota's trophies should be broken bits of whatever of something. Yes, right. I hope this year it's broken bits of Minnesota's dreams to contend for the West. Yeah, well, don't don't take your your attention off of Iowa. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> But that's true. It was a pretty big overreaction to make it out of Kevlar. Yeah. So, and, and and I should go out and say, I don't know if it's actually bulletproof. It's made of Kevlar. Which is. Which is a bulletproof material. Please don't shoot mascots. <laughs> don't this test is, it. Yeah. You shouldn't anyway. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Yeah. Whether it's bulletproof or not. You should punch them. Definitely <laughs> tackle them. Careful, though, because they will turn around and punch well, you back. fight, yeah. Whether you have glasses or not. Back. So, okay. So you told me off the recording that you have an Iowa rant. Let's start with the fun. Okay. Fuck objectivity. Here we go. No, and this is somewhat objective, okay? Because this is based on science and data. <laughs> <laughs> and also my pure hatred for Iowa. Okay. This, no, this is real, though. So, okay, so they went 10-4 and four last year, okay? 10-2 yep. and, and two in the regular season. Uh, very forgettable off, uh, very, very forgettable postseason for them. I forgot they won the Big Ten West. They wish that they didn't win it because they got beat down by Michigan after that. But anyway, okay, so they went 10-2 and in the regular season. They played statistically like a 7-5, and maybe an 8-4 and team, okay? They were the opposite of Nebraska. They overachieved despite their numbers, where Nebraska underachieved despite their numbers, okay? And here's why. And everybody knows this. Anybody who follows Big Ten football knows I was really, really good at, at generating turnovers. They were really, really good at scoring points off of turnovers, and they were really good at non-offensive scoring. So the average final scoring margin for top 25 teams with 10-plus wins in 2021, which Iowa qualifies for, was plus 13.7 points. Mm. Okay? I think the top, Georgia number one with like 28 plus 28 or something like that. Iowa's final scoring margin was plus 4.2. Oh. They were the worst. The worst. The only one close to them was Oregon at plus 4.4, and they both finished at like 23, 24. 
Iowa averaged 2.6 points per game from non-offensive scores. So they had three off of interceptions, a fumble recovery for a touchdown, a kick return, and a punt return. Yeah, I don't want to talk about one of those. Mm -hmm. If you remove those points, then the offense provided a net of only plus 1.6 per game. Oh, like they're this is that's just how terrible they had a great defense, but that's just how bad their offense was. Okay, they also nepotism. Oh, <laughs> well, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that because there was an interesting development this year as far as quarterback coaches go. They okay, so they also scored an exceptional number of points off of turnovers in their first five games alone, and I couldn't find their their total on the season but in their first five games alone they scored 82 points off of 14 turnovers and converted every single turnover opportunity into points which is pretty incredible that's really impressive okay but without that extreme number of turnovers and without an exceptionally efficient conversion rate from a piss poor offense the team doesn't even get close to 10 wins right right yeah they were operating in the extremes right so looking forward to this year you might say you might say, well, what if they do it again? They return enough guys on defense. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens if they are just as good? What if they repeat the results? I will say to you this. In the past five full seasons, so we're excluding 2020 when there was uneven games, the top five teams in FBS in total turnovers, okay, there were 27 different teams that were in the top five. Only three teams appear more than once and no team more than twice. Repeating that level of an extreme stat like turnovers doesn't happen very often. It's not reliable. Therefore, Iowa's 2022 motto is reversion to mediocrity. Okay. Okay. I just want to preface all. This is why I'm low on Iowa. Okay. Because I think that they operated at an incredible extreme, primarily when it comes to turnovers and scoring off those turnovers. And I think they're coming back to reality. I think that that's a fair assessment of Iowa, obviously, when it's statistically based. And when you look back at how Iowa came back and beat Nebraska, it 100% had to do with turnovers and sloppy play on Nebraska's part and Iowa taking 100% full advantage of that. Yes. And Nebraska-Iowa was the perfect example of those, like, those two opposite teams on this collision course. Um, and both of their seasons just living out on this fucking wild ride sure. in one game. Sure. You feel like if Tom Osborne sold his soul to the devil to win those national championships, like this... Tom this Osborne would never. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is, uh-huh. you feel like this, this th- that, that game had to be the pinnacle, right? Uh-huh. Like yeah. that, that was the most soul-crushing devastating end to Boy, a Boy, then you don't know the devil. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Okay. This is just something I saw while rewatching the game on a field goal conversion during Iowa's comeback last year. Uh-huh. Nebraska's net operator swatted the ball away from Iowa's ball boy when it was coming down the net. Like the guy went to catch the ball and the guy just slapped it and it went to the ground. Yes. And I thought, I was like, yeah, I like that Yeah, guy. I do. I do. So I was like, how fucking petty. And the kid was like decked out in Hawkeye gear. And the other guy was clearly. Was it a kid kid or? I say kid in the sense that like he's in college and I'm in my 30s. So he's a kid. I want to make sure it's not like a a seven year old. Welcome to the sidelines, kid. (laughs) Bam. All right. So moving into this Iowa matchup, Drew, what are some of the thoughts you have uh, going into this game against the Iowa Hawkeyes? So, okay. So I spelled out most of 
why I'm down on the Hawkeyes this year. Um, and I could be wrong. They do have a great defense. They do return a lot of star players, um, big contributors to this this team. Um, and they've shown that they don't have to be great on offense to be very, very successful in a way that Nebraska fans want to be. So, again, like they'll realistically, they'll contend for the West, um, all bias aside. <laughs> God damn it, I hate <laughs> saying it. They're, I don't know. It's uh, yeah. I really, you know what? You know what's funny is like we spent all this time talking the ancillary information and like what's going into this game, and obviously this feels like a very personal game going into it. Mm-hmm. Iowa can be summed up very simply: bad on offense, good on defense, and it's a matter of how good and how bad. Yeah, right? I would even go as far as they, they're they're a team of extreme. They're terrible on offense, yeah, and they're great on defense, but they don't care. They don't. That's they, the thing. They I don't know. care that they're bad at offense. They, they, they lean in. It. They lean into Annoyingly it. Annoyingly so. They <laughs> Brian Ferentz is still their offensive coordinator. He's now their quarterbacks coach. Oh, he got. I didn't know that he yep. got taken off OC. Yeah. No, he's both. Oh. Oh. Okay. More responsibility. <laughs> so let me let me just go ahead and sum up um, his Brian Ferentz's career with quarterbacks. Uh, okay. He has zero years experience as a quarterback playing okay. the game, and he has zero years experience coaching quarterbacks. He is now going <laughs> to. <laughs> He's now going to coach. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Spencer Petrus. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> Alex. Is it Padilla or Padilla? I don't know. I don't know. I always say Padilla. But, all right. <laughs> Either way, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be coaching their worst position, and he has no experience like that. I don't know. It blows my time. So, or blows my mind. And and. It shows that nepotism is alive and well in Iowa. Yeah. I just, it doesn't, I don't get it. They could get a really good offensive coordinator. Iowa could get talent to come there, right? Kirk Ferentz mm-hmm. is not a nobody coach. That defense is, is an excellent defense. If you bring in someone who's halfway decent at offense, they could have a real thing. It's so, it is, it is actually pretty mind blowing. Cause they're, again, you're in a, you're in the top, one of the top conferences, right? Yeah. In, in the, in the game. You're at a place that shows it can be successful, even being just average. Yeah, you're with Kirk Ferentz, who has stability. Longevity yeah, like at the he place, ain't going anywhere. No, and so there, there is such potential for success, and they're just they just don't <laughs> reach for it. But again, going back to the conversation piece that I had is like they see themselves as a developmental program who occasionally has these great spurts. They're focused on the culture. They're developing players. Develop national championships, you fucks. <laughs> Like, <laughs> stop dicking around at eight and four. I like I, it's. It blows my mind. It really, truly does. But I, I mean, fine. I, I don't. I don't know what else to say about it. I think that's part of the reason why it's so frustrating that they've had our number seven seasons in a row. Yeah, like yeah. that. It's. It's like you don't even seem to care. <laughs> <laughs> they really are. It's. It's to me, Iowa is kind of like um, they are successful. Right for what they are, yeah. Like they are, they're punching above their weight, right? And which Nebraska was doing for a very long time sure. on a much different level, yeah. And just, just the contentness of it, yeah. And their their assuredness, and their, yeah, just their their assuredness of who they are. Oh, I don't know. But okay. you know what? You gotta you gotta you gotta hand it to them in the sense that they've had our number. Right. Yeah. 
they have, and they've done it. Okay, so let's talk. Let's actually talk their fucking football. I, I'm not going to. I threw my sheet aside already. I'm done. <laughs> okay. I'm I'm happy to listen to what you have to say. I'll give shout outs to um their their offensive struggle last year. I'll shout out to that. They had terrible pass protection. They allowed the most tackles for loss. They were 101st in the rushing attack. Um, they had only 304 yards per game. They lost. Tyler Goodson, who somehow fucking somehow managed to go for over a thousand yards rushing, despite being a shitty team uh, running the ball, they lost a couple wide receivers to, to to Purdue. They transferred not just within within conference but within the division, including Charlie Jones, who didn't necess- necessarily have a standout career as a wide receiver there, but was a return specialist for Iowa. Who else? Oh, Sam Laporta. They're yeah, t- they've okay. He's about the only highlight I feel like on that offense, right? Yes, and but I will say this, and this might be, I don't know, biased again back towards Nebraska. But Keegan Johnson at wide receiver has the chance to make a name for himself. Sam Laporta is their leading returning receiver mm-hmm. from last year, and he had like <laughs> five hundred yards. Yes, as at a tight end position. Yes. Yeah. Like it's it's insane. <laughs> it is crazy how bad they how bad they were, and they've got the same two quarterbacks coming back. Yeah, with new quarterback coach Brian <laughs> Ferentz again, no experience. Um, I don't know how this offense improves. I don't. I don't see. It doesn't have to though. That's the that's the thing that's like so. It does. Here's if no, I was an Iowa fan, I would rub it in the face of every team that I beat I every year. I'd be embarrassed and I'd hide, hide myself away for the next well, few months. Well, that's the difference between you and I. The defense relied way too much on turnovers. The The team as a whole relied way too much on turnovers. Again, which is, which is you can you can reproduce turnovers to an extent, but not to a to an extent where you're the number one na- team in the nation sure. and doing something that you haven't done in at least a decade or whatever. I don't know how long it's been since they've had that many interceptions or that many turnovers. Like I don't, they're not going to recreate that. They're not right. 20, they're going to be 25 great. interceptions is a huge number to hit again. It's huge. And not just that, but then to convert at the rate that they converted yeah. with a terrible offense. Like I don't know how they did it. It was like the most opportunistic team ever, ever. I it feel like I feel like if an Iowa fan is listening to this right now, they're like, "Yeah, fuck you, yeah. Nebraska." <laughs> yeah. They're like, "But you still lost." <laughs> and yeah, like, and that's, we know that's, that's why we're the, angry. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So I again, I don't, I don't see how this team takes a. They're not taking a step forward. They might recreate what they did last year if they're lucky. They might recreate that. But Wisconsin's going to be better. Minnesota's going to be better. God willing, Nebraska's going to be better. Illinois is going to be better. Um, Purdue is going to be better. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Purdue. Uh, Northwestern is going to be Northwestern. Northwestern going to be better. Be, they're going to be better. They're going to be better. They can't be worse, right? You wouldn't think. No. So there, I was against tougher competition uh, this year within the division. I don't see them repeating. And I don't see them as even finishing in the top three. I think they're going to be a four or five ranked team in the West. And that's and that's not out of like I, I that's not out of hatred yeah. so much. Let's as rewind it when you say I, fuck objectivity. <laughs> I was looking for reasons to drag them down. I will admit, but at the same time, I do think that I have validity to my arguments. Yeah, in that yeah, it's called bias op- confirmation. Yeah, <laughs> confirmation bias, or yeah, one of the two. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have enough confirmation bias to look it up. <laughs> 
All right. Well, what's our too, too early prediction? What do you got Iowa, Nebraska ending at? I've got it at 31-13. We stomp them early and we don't blow it late. Nice. Nice. I've got 29-21 Nebraska. I think it's going to be a hard-fought game again. It always is. It's what I kind of love about the Big Ten West is, like, it's it's always, regardless of the outcome, for one team, it's a good game. <laughs> it just yeah. hasn't been a good game for Nebraska as of late. Yeah. But I think that Harbaugh got his last year. Frost is going to get his this year. Nice. Yeah. Everybody walks away with a bloody nose, but one person walks away victorious. Because he headbutted his own player <laughs> in a freaking helmet. <laughs> oh, my God. And then he did interviews. It was smeared on his face. It's like, Grandpa, you're bleeding. <laughs> no, I'm not. It's pasta sauce. <laughs> All right. So, Drew, kind of wrapping up this this preseason content that we've put out there, what are you thinking as far as Nebraska's overall season? And and I don't know how to frame this, right? Like, this is preseason. This is us. I'm kind of looking at it as objectively as I can, trying to be a realist on this. And I'm thinking, like, if Nebraska is as good as the talent allows, right? If Nebraska plays to their talent, whereas they haven't in past years where we've been beat by culture, what what do you think this season winds up as? Do you have a record prediction? Do you have an overall goal? Like, what what are you just you seeing? I mean, overall, overall goal is just to turn the corner and okay. win some fucking games. <laughs> I don't know. Uh I think I think where I'm at is I'm not I don't want to be objective right now because it's preseason. Sure, okay, and I'm, a, fair. and I'm a fanatic, right? Like I want to go fucking off the deep end and say no, we're gonna win ten games. Okay, um, and we will. <laughs> <laughs> we could, we probably won't, but we could. And I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep believing that we will. I we did another we did another podcast with uh, big dudes in the trenches recently, and and we all had to pick our winners, and I picked Nebraska to win the West because it's wide open. Yeah. Um, I do think that Nebraska's season last year was just absolutely mind-blowing in terms of how bad their record was compared to what they should have been just from a numbers standpoint. I think that they've injected a ton of new talent, um, both players and coaching. They've mixed things up enough on offense and kept enough the same on defense to a point where they really should like be significantly better significantly better and then i think too that the that the west on the whole will be better tougher competition across the board so i don't know man like seven to nine wins makes sense with nine being tops sure but i'm gonna i'm gonna buy into that i'm gonna buy into a nine and three seven and two in conference season look i'd be fucking ecstatic if that's what happens i i've tried to take an objective approach to this as as difficult as that is being as you said a fanatic and especially with it being the preseason I just feel like I've been burned too many times going into this and yet and yet (laughs) I went through and and totaled up all the predictions I've had in these preseason episodes Mm -hmm. you say seven and nine seven to nine is not crazy I went eight and four and I didn't I didn't know that about myself I didn't realize that that's where I had Nebraska pegged yeah. Realistically, I think that this could be a team that goes anywhere from six and six to nine and three. I think a lot of this curtails there's there's some big key games, and I wanna I wanna point these out as far as my opinion wise. Mm-hmm. This could mean nothing to anyone else, but obviously Northwestern is an important game to see how this team looks, how this offense gels, and how that's implemented. So that's the yeah. first big game. I think North Dakota is a big game as well to see how the team responds. I'm not Are gonna, you go gonna go I'm not gonna say every game. <laughs> it's just no, okay. no, no, no. My eyes just went dead. I was like, all yeah. right, twelve, here we go, twelve games. <laughs> twelve big games, and here's why each game's important. 
No, North North Dakota is going to be important because we're coming back on a short week, a long trip. I want to see how Nebraska takes care of business. Okay. Let's jump to, I'm going to skip Oklahoma as some people might think, oh, that's the biggest game of the season. It is, but it isn't. It's non-con. If we lose it, it doesn't matter to the ultimate goal, which is to win a conference championship, right? Yeah. Or to win the conference. I think Rutgers is a big game. Yeah. So Rutgers is going to be on a Friday. It could potentially be an, a 5-0 and Nebraska or a 4-1 and Nebraska going into New Jersey, thinking that we're hot shit, thinking that, hey, we finally turned that corner that you're speaking about, and we're going into a, a game against a team who knows they can beat us. And I, I think that this Rutgers game is a trap game, more so than our FCS opponents, more so than Northwestern or whatever you want to look at. I think Rutgers might be the game where there's a snag. Yeah. I had them as a win in our projections, but I could easily see that being a loss. Then you've got Purdue and Illinois and Minnesota and Michigan, Wisconsin, and Iowa to end out the season. But I really think that if we can get to Illinois and we're bowl eligible, which would put us at, at worst, 6-2, and two, right. I have confidence for the back half of the season. But I really think that that's going to be the, the truth teller. If we're bowl eligible by Illinois or through Illinois, shit, by Illinois, I'll be even happier. Mm-hmm. I think that that bodes well for us heading into the, the difficult part. We'll have the confidence, but we'll also know the kind of work it takes to go into these matchups where we should win or where we should have a chance and to execute on that. Yeah. Well, and I think if the team has that, hey, if they're if they're at that level where they're bowl eligible by Illinois, then you know you've got a good team. At the, you know, like, then you know, okay, things are, things are clicking. Well, yeah, because then if you're going into the Illinois game, if you're bowl eligible going into that game, you're 6-1, and one, your only loss is probably to a top 10 team in Oklahoma. Yeah. So you're feeling good about it, but then, and you're going up against your, your toughest stretch, but you're a team that's never had that before. You've never been going into the back half of your, of your season with that, with a postseason locked up as far as having a bowl in your back pocket. And so like at that point, you're playing with house money in some sense, you're still fighting for something. You're still fighting for winning your division and making it to Indy. And we just haven't seen what Nebraska looks like with that. I think it'd be really even if so. Even if they weren't, even if they dropped two before then, and they're five and two, and then Illinois is the one that locks it down. Seeing this defense going up against Wisconsin and Iowa and Minnesota at the end of the year with six six wins or more already in the back pocket, or going up against even Michigan, would be fucking awesome. Not not a defense that feels like it has to carry the team and get another win to try to like just fucking save somebody's job right. or just to bring bring a bowl game to the state, but a team that a team that's clicking, a defense that's firing on all on all cylinders, um, an offense that's getting it done and just playing a little more free would be I think it'd be a lot of fun and I think it'd be beneficial to them. Um, you think winning games would be fun? No. <laughs> I not winning the winning the games yes but I mean looking forward like going into those games you know the the game plan that you could do and what you could do as a team would it would just be more not more enjoyable but like you could play a different style of football sure. you, you know and that, a little that more I think fast lends, and loose. yeah and it a little lends more itself fun. more yeah. to I think what they're what they're good at anyway I get you well I think that's as good a place as any to put a cap on the preseason that does it for this week we want to thank everyone who tuned into this week's episode. If you have anyone you think would enjoy a listen, we would truly appreciate your recommendation. 
Don't forget to follow us on social media at Wannabe Walk-Ons and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Remember to do your part. Drink local beer wherever you are. You can find more information on Johnny Bird Brewing Company at Johnny Bird, and that's J-O-H-N-N-I-E-B-Y-R-D dot beer. Or by visiting their tap room in Wayne, Nebraska. If you have any breweries you'd like us to sample on the show, visit wannabewalkons.com to submit your recommendation. Tune in next week as we preview Nebraska's first game of the season against the Northwestern Wildcats and a sampling of beer from Aviva Stadium in Dublin, Ireland. Thanks for listening, and as always, drink Big Red. Drink Big Red.